The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Good evening, everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this evening for your love for each person here. Would you speak to us? this evening, that we would be welcomed into your presence, Lord, that our eyes would be open and our ears hear your heart's desire for each person here. And would your spirit wash us clean tonight? Come and bring freedom in this place this evening, Lord. Freedom, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, tonight, today, as you know, is Remembrance Sunday. And there's some elements that we read in the Bible that are really important that we remember. Read through the Old Testament, and again and again and again, God says to his people, the Israelites, remember, remember, remember. Think about Jesus when he was in the upper room, sat with his disciples, and he was about to break bread and pour out the wine to symbolize his body and blood on the cross. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. But there's also an element of remembering that is not so helpful for us as God's people and for humans. And there was a word tonight, actually, as we were praying before we began the service, that God wants to say this evening to us, and I may not get this exactly right, but the sense of it was, look up and not back. Because whilst it's right that we remember who God is and what he's done for us, Certainly I find as a pastor, I spend a lot of time with people who are looking down and looking back in terms of some of the things they've done, carrying guilt, struggling with unforgiveness. And I really believe that tonight the Lord wants to set some people free in here tonight. And so I just say that up front. And so be asking God as I am speaking, Lord, what do you want to say to me, to us this evening? And this whole area of guilt and unforgiveness is a huge issue. For all the years that I've been in ministry, I've 
found it to be one of the most, well, the largest stumbling block for many people who can't truly grasp in their hearts what it means to be forgiven. And actually, for all of us, we can all think of things we've done, things we've said that are wrong, and we carry guilt in different ways. And for some of us, that might be something that we're really painfully aware of tonight, maybe something that you have uh, done or said, and you're just thinking, you know, I'm carrying that guilt in my life. For many people, it's just a niggling sense of guilt and unforgiveness that they struggle with. But what I do know is that guilt and unforgiveness can become like a cage. And if we don't deal with it, then we find ourselves entrapped and imprisoned and unable to function and to thrive as Jesus wants you and me to live our lives fully in him. There was a head of a psychiatric hospital in London who said this, I could discharge half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge key in unlocking who we are as God's people. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. But to understand what it is that is written in this, these words of Hebrews, we've got to look at the whole of Scripture. And we're going to go right back to the beginning. Is that okay? Because when we look right back to the beginning, what we see is that when God created the world and everything in it, he created humanity to be in relationship with him. You and I are created in the very image of God to be in relationship with God, an intimate, loving relationship with him. And in fact, your purpose, my purpose, is to live and to praise and to worship Jesus throughout our lives, throughout your week, throughout your days. That is our purpose. But we don't always do that, do we? And what we read as you know, in the beginning of scripture, is that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve turned from God. They disobeyed him. It's called the fall. And from that moment on, each one of us in different ways have struggled to fully enter a relationship with God. We struggle to to live as God wants us to because we are in part sinful. And so each one of us will do and say and think things that are not of God. And fundamentally, we we just quite like doing our own thing. We like going our own way. And turning from God is called sin. And at the heart of that little word sin, spelled S-I-N, is the letter I. And the problem sometimes is me. It's us. Because where God wants to be Lord of our lives, to be at the very center of you and me and all that we do in our lives, we end up trying to put ourselves in that place. And so we want to be in control. We want to be the ones who are making sure that everything goes the way we think it ought to. And it's a form of sin. And this sin creates a divide between God and his people between God and us. And ever since that moment in the Garden of Eden, humanity has been trying to do everything it can to get back 
into relationship with God, to bridge that gap that was created, the divide between God and his people. And so what we read in the book of Hebrews, in the words that Chris just read, is about priests and high priests. Dan spoke about this last week, trying to stand in the gap between God and his people, to offer sacrifices of animals, to try and bridge that gap. Now you may be here this evening and thinking, why do we even have to shed blood? What is it about shedding blood? Isn't it a bit primitive? Isn't it a bit gruesome? Have a look at um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews 9, verse 22. You may well ask the question, why is it that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood? What is all of this about? Well, what we read in scripture is that the wages of sin is death. And we need to understand the serious nature of sin and who it is that we are sinning against in order to begin to understand what sacrifice Jesus really made. So think for a moment about a crime that is committed by, let's say, you or me against a member of public. Now, if we were to commit a crime, there would be a penalty If we were to commit that crime against a police officer, it is highly likely that the penalty might be more severe. If we were to commit the same crime against a member of royalty, it is even more likely that the penalty would be greater. And what we are reading here in scripture is that our sin is against the highest authority there is. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And God is a God of justice. God takes sin seriously. And we are to take sin seriously as well. And the Old Testament sacrifices that we read about here in Hebrews just simply did not work. Have a look at Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verse 9. What we read is that these sacrifices could not clear the conscience of the worshipper. In other words, they just weren't enough. I guess, if anything, these sacrifices of animals that took place year after year after year just reminded God's people of their sinfulness. But they couldn't be forgiven. And they couldn't be brought back into that loving, intimate relationship with God. Now, if you flick back to Hebrews chapter 8, what we can read here is words written about the new covenant. This is the new agreement, the new promise between God and his people. And we read here in verse 10, God is saying, I will be their God and they will be my people. He's pointing forward to a new promise, a new covenant in which that relationship that he intended from the very beginning in Genesis would be reinstated, would be healed and restored. But on top of that, if you have a look at verse 12 of chapter 8, we read that God says, I will remember their sins no more. And what happened was 
These words from Jeremiah, of course, were spoken before Jesus. And what we read is at the end of the Old Testament, there was a period of hundreds of years. People were waiting and expecting someone to come and rescue them, a saviour. But in order to have a renewed, reconciled relationship with God, it was going to involve a very different and special kind of sacrifice. Now I want to tell you a story, a true story, about someone during the World War, World War II. You probably haven't heard of this man. His name is Lloyd Hanna. He was 26 years old during World War II. He was flying a Lancaster bomber. He was actually Canadian, but was part of the Allied forces here in England during World War II. And he took off from a very small airstrip in Lincolnshire with a few others in his plane. And as he took off, he realised that he was in big trouble. Disaster struck and the plane, excuse me, the plane caught on fire. And this man realised that he had two choices. Either he could follow the example of those who were with him in the plane, who were putting on their parachutes, were preparing to jump out of the plane to safety. But the pilot knew that if he did this, the plane would just plummet to earth, fall into the ground and he was right above a small village in Lincolnshire and it would without doubt kill everyone in that village. His other choice was to hold on to the controls of that plane, to try and guide it to a field nearby knowing that if he did that it would without doubt be the end of his life. Now Lloyd Hanna, 26 years old, in that split second, made a decision to give his life in order that dozens of others might live. Dozens of other women and children and men that he was never going to meet. But it was the sacrifice of one person for the benefit of of many and of course as you and I turn the pages of scripture and we enter into the New Testament we read about this way maker this miracle worker this promise keeper light in the darkness that came out of Nazareth Jesus who was going around healing people and giving sight to the blind and feeding 5,000, calming storms. And he was about to reveal his true identity and the very resurrection power of God at work through him and in this world through the greatest sacrifice that humanity has ever and will ever know. And at the heart of this sacrifice is forgiveness. Freedom from this penalty 
of sin. And so the Greek word that we read in the New Testament for forgive is the same word that is used for liberate. And if you have a look in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, we read this. Jesus has died as a ransom to set us free from sin. Jesus has died as a ransom to set you free from sin tonight. And on that cross, Jesus took everything that separates you and me and all people from God. All sin, past, present and future. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 14, these crucial words that Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. Repeated once for all. For all people, going right back in history, but also reaching forward for all those who will come after us until that day when Jesus comes again. And for all people who are here on this earth right now, today. Once for all. And we know that Jesus' sacrifice was so complete because he cried out on the cross, it is finished. It is finished, complete. And as a sign of this, Jesus, we read in Hebrews 10, is seated at the right hand of the Father. His sacrifice was once for all. Not like the Old Testament sacrifices repeated year after year after year. But once for all people. And so through his sacrifice, this bridge has been built between God and humanity. This is the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is we don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. You and I deserve to pay the penalty for sin. Our sin. But thanks to Jesus, we are forgiven. You and I deserve to to face God's judgment and his justice for what we have done, for what I have done. But thanks to Jesus, we receive grace and mercy. New mercies every single day. Jesus has paid it all for us. And you and I pay nothing. All we have to do to enter back into this loving relationship with God the Father is to repent and believe. To say sorry. To turn away from our sinful ways. To trust in Jesus and to look to him as our Lord and Saviour. So why did Jesus do this? Why did God send his son to die on the cross? Well, it's simple. Because God so loves the world. God so loves you. Do you know that? Do you know that in your heart? God so loves you that he sent his son to come and give his life as the ultimate sacrifice to bring you and me as we trust in him back into relationship with God. And not only can we know the freedom that comes from forgiveness as we stand washed clean by Jesus, redeemed and restored and renewed, cleansed 
But we read in Hebrews 10.10 these most amazing words that we have been made holy. We've been made holy. I don't know how you feel about yourself tonight, what you're going through in your life right now, but you are God's holy people. I know I sometimes do this, but it's, it's one of the few ways to get us to get it into our heads. Why don't you turn to each other and say, you are God's holy son or daughter. Let's do it. Turn to one another. It's good to proclaim this truth over one another. And just while you're doing this, I want to read out these words from 1 Peter. This is a complete diversion, but it is related. Just one of the places where we're reminded of who we are. Peter, the apostle, writes, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That is who we are. And so we think about those words of Jeremiah, chapter 8 in Hebrews, when the Lord said, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so we're getting back now to the heart of what God intended. That we would be people who are made in his image. We would be people who reflect the very nature of God in this world. That you and I would be those who mirror God's holiness and his grace and his mercy and his generosity and his love and his kindness and his forgiveness to this world. The people around you at school and university and work and in your neighbourhoods would look at you and say, wow, what is it about these people at Greyfriars? They are amazing because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We read in Philippines that we would be like stars shining for Jesus. That is who we are to be. And so as we look at this sacrifice of Jesus, our response is, Lord, would you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to shine like stars, that we will reflect your glory in this world? There are some words in Romans 12 about what it means for you and I to be living sacrifices. And this is what we read. And the beginning of this sentence is really important. In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Or in the message version it says this, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. This is our response. As we look to this cross and what Jesus has done, we surrender ourselves. We give ourselves to Jesus. The where the sinful side of me wants to say, well, I want to control what's going on and I want to be in charge and I want to hold on to all these elements of life around me because I feel unsure and I feel worried and I just need more control because I think that's going to help me feel less worried. 
Actually, we're called to do the opposite. We're called to let go. We're called to surrender. To offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And so I wonder tonight, what is the Lord saying to you? What is it that you need to let go of? Where do you need to relinquish control? What is it that you are trying to organize and hold on to tightly that tonight the Lord is saying, just give it back to me? Because we are kidding ourselves, folks, if we can control anything. The journey of me being a vicar is I have absolutely no control over anything whatsoever. Most of you know that. That's laughs of affirmation. And so God calls us to let go. And let God be God. He is king and ruler of all. Let him do what he can do. And just lean into God. And surrender. The other part of our response, and then I'm going to finish, is that we're to call to forgive. That as we receive forgiveness, we are to pour that forgiveness out. And I realized this week that I was holding on to some words that were spoken over me two weeks ago. Not by someone in church here. But words that hurt me. Words that actually caused me pain. Words that made me feel quite angry about this person. Words that made me sort of spend too much time thinking about those, that conversation and that individual. And I was being held captive in my own mind. And so the Lord, as I was preparing this talk, sat me down and had to do some heart surgery through his spirit to say, David, let go, forgive, release that person, love them as I love them. So who is the Lord calling you to forgive? Maybe actually you need to forgive yourself. Because, you know, if you can't forgive yourself, then you're putting yourself as a higher authority than God. And that cannot be right, can it? If God forgives you, then you are to forgive yourself. I want to end with one final story. This story is about a man called Hiru Onoda. Hiru Onoda was 20 years old when he joined the Japanese army. He was in the intelligence corps. He was an intelligence officer. And when World War II broke out, he was posted to a small island called Lubang Island in the Philippines. And as the island was invaded, he and three other soldiers retreated into the jungle. It's what they were trained for. They lived off the land and they defended themselves moving around in the dense jungle on this island. But in 1945, at the end of the year when the war ended... There were leaflets dropped on this island to try and find these soldiers and tell them the war has finished, it's over. But when they read these bits of paper, they thought that it was a trick, that they were trying to be drawn out of the jungle and taken captive. So they ignored them. The locals had so much of just being spied on and shot at that they put more and more leaflets into the jungle to try and coax these guys out. They even found photos of family and friends of these four men, put them on a poster and dropped them in the jungle. And eventually two of the men walked out of the jungle. But because they never came back, Anuda and his friend thought they'd been taken captive and so stayed there. 
And it wasn't until 1974, can you believe this is true, 29 years later, that a group of soldiers were sent in and they found this man, Anuda, and his friend. And they sat them down and they told them the truth. That these men had been living as captives for 29 years when freedom was right there available for them. And this is what's going on in our country today. Freedom is available in a relationship with Jesus. But people are held captive. You may be here tonight and you just feel that you are held captive. And we want to pray for you. So would you like to stand, please? And we're going to pray together and then respond in worship. I just want to take a moment to pray for God's forgiveness over all of us. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond, to receive that forgiveness, to enter back into that relationship with the Lord with God maybe for the first time here tonight so let's just all close our eyes for a moment and I'm going to lead us in a prayer and you can echo this prayer in your heart Father we want to begin tonight by saying sorry sorry for our sin for the ways that we have turned from you We thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth to provide a bridge for us back to God, our Father, our Creator. We thank you for the grace and the mercy shown towards us, that we don't get what we deserve, but we get what we don't deserve. Forgiveness and grace and mercy. And please now, Lord, would you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pour that mercy and grace on us that we would know your forgiveness afresh in our lives. And I just pray for anyone here tonight who needs to forgive someone around them. Lord, that you would prompt us by your Spirit. Who is it we need to forgive, Lord? The more we see your cross, the more we understand what it means to surrender, to let go, and to lean into you, Lord. So would you come and take your place as Lord of our lives, as Lord of this church, Lord of this town, and Lord of this nation. In the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.